Good day to you fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. My uh, message this morning is titled um, Pentec- uh, Women and Leadership. Women in Leadership. And you checked the bottom before you brought it. Same bottom, bro. So go into my office and get one of the jars that are on the right on my bookshelf. That'll help me out. Those must have come from the pantry because uh, otherwise they're just, they got messed up bottoms. That's the short story. I really need to get into this message today. Um, we Pentecostals believe that the outpouring of the Spirit begun in the early 20th century is a true fulfillment of prophecy. Hear these words from Joel. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, Joel prophesied this first. We, we got a full bottom one there. Look at that. Squared bottom and I should be good to go. So Joel prophesied it, but Peter repeated it on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He quoted Joel. That women as well as men are to prophesy is indicative of their inclusion in the ministries of the new covenant age. As a matter of clarity, we are living in the new covenant age right now, ever since first believers in Acts has been that new covenant age. Now, For our in-house people, our upcoming special business meeting is specifically to consider changes, as I said, to our constitution and bylaws. It needed a general update, but one of our primary tasks in this needed update includes considering allowing women to serve alongside men in the crucial roles of deacon and elders. So obviously my goal today is to give some explanation to this, well, difficult and historically divisive issue in the church. I understand that. So I'm not, for those of you in-house and those of you online, this is a very important message for us as a church. Um, and, and And I know as I do this, I'm treading on sensitive territory. And no matter what I say, somebody's gonna be upset, or have a different viewpoint. That will include some of our sisters who have lived with and have um, come to understand things the way that we have operated as a church. And I don't just mean our church, I mean the church. And so I know it's sensitive territory and I'm not ignorant of this fact and, 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 um, and I ask that you consider my words today with grace. Um, and, and understanding, weigh the words that I speak today. And if you're a member of our church, this body, after prayerful consideration, you definitely need to be here on uh, February 17th, Wednesday night, uh, to cast a vote that will include this. Now, we'll be voting in, and there'll be things that we do relative to our Constitution and bylaws that we have to do regardless And um, those are important issues. So this is just one aspect of those changes. To be biblically accurate, you're going to hear me use some Greek words today. I need to do that. I'm not trying to be a hot shot, if you will, but it's necessary for some clear understanding. That's the only reason why I would use some of these Greek words in this message today. So if you'll bear with me... um, I, I want you to stick with me. 
I'm not certain I'm going to get it all. I'm going to do my best to cram it all in here today. I know that it will take me a full hour to do that. I know that. It's too sensitive of a subject, however, for me to gloss over. I may have to expand to two, sir, two messages, and if I do, I'll just listen to Holy Spirit along the way. If that happens, then I'm going to trust that you're going to pick it up on the next service because it's really important that the two are tied together in this case. But I want you to understand something from the outset. Since the Bible is our final authority on all matters of faith and practice, it is important to follow its teachings rather than our personal likes and dislikes. So bear with me, if you will. Um, I'll do my best to give you a brief and even though I've just said what I just said about how long it's going to take, it's still a very brief biblical look at why we believe we should allow women to serve in these ministry roles even inside our church, not only the church at large. Many churches have embraced this and are sort of way ahead of us, but there are many who still struggle with it. And listen, as I talk, talk about this today, I understand that even people that are okay with it still have questions. And I hope to answer some of those questions today. So I'm not being insensitive or, or trying to, to just throw something at you that is that you just have to swallow it and, you know, like it or lump it. That's not my approach. I'm trying to help you understand something that I believe the Word of God tells us. So what does the Bible say? That's where we begin today. What does the Bible say? Well, let's look in the Old Testament first. Old Testament history includes accounts of strong female leadership in many roles. And you, by the way, can take notes online, even if you're watching this, or you can take it on your uh, phone and such things. Again, this is very important. And while we have all bulletins, they're all nice and ready to roll, and you can, you can take your notes today and have this with you. Um, yeah, uh, you're not here, so you can't use that. So you have to do it electronically. So we'll look at these strong female roles in leadership. Miriam was a prophet to Israel during the Exodus alongside her brothers Moses and Aaron. It's glossed over for most of us. But she was called, is called, a prophet. That is Miriam, Moses' sister, or Aaron's sister, both. Deborah, both a prophet and a judge, directed Barak to uh, lead the army of Israel into successful combat against Israel's oppressors in Judges 4 and 5. Those are two chapters. And, and so she was a prophet and a judge. So you can read that in Judges. And, and as well, I, I didn't mention, but Exodus 15:20 is where you find Miriam. It's stated in the scriptures that she was a prophet. Let's not forget the crucial role that Queen Esther played in Israel's history. Um, I realize she was a queen, and so you may think, well, she wasn't the king, she was a queen. But she took the forward position of calling all Israel to prayer and fasting. She did that of her own volition. And the people walked with her in this. And you understand that like other strong women, she was willing to lay her life down to save her people. That's a pretty strong position to take. That's soldier-like, which we may often consider that to be like a, a, a man's position. But... Here she is taking on that role and being willing to put her life on the line. When she approached the king, her life was in jeopardy at that moment. But she trusted God and she led the people of Israel in prayer and fasting to do this. Then fourth, we have Huldah, also a prophet. You know what she did? She authenticated the scroll of the law found in the temple. Huldah did that. And, and helped spark religious reform during what is one of my favorites, perhaps my, perhaps my favorite king in Israel's history, Josiah. And he became king when he was eight years old. So the fact that this happened, and he was, he was a good king, tore down the... Well, anyway, Huldah had a part to play in all of that. And I don't want to get off on it too far, but that's in 2 Kings 22, 14 through 20, 2 Chronicles as well, 34, 22 through 28. So there's a couple, just a quick snapshots of, of Old Testament view of some strong women of God. Now let's go New Testament. 
all right? Because you know that, they, that women filled important ministry roles in the early church. And I want you to recognize that this morning. First, we have Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, initiated in an effective benevolence ministry. That's Tabitha, uh, also again called Dorcas in um, Acts chapter 9, verse 36. I'm not taking you to all of these verses. I strongly suspect that most of you know these names and you know these verses exist, but I gave you the verses so you can follow up on it. Again, bear with me. I'm trying to get this all stuffed into one message today, and I'm going to do my best to do that. You have, uh, since we're in Acts, you will also recognize Philip's four unmarried daughters. They were recognized as prophets in Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. They were recognized as prophets. They had the gift of prophecy, that scripture says. And um, I'll say a little bit more about them later should I get to that portion. Now, Paul singled out two women, Judea and Syntyche. Now, I may mess up names, by the way, but so I'm not claiming to be an authority on the pronunciation of the names that I'll have to name in this message today. But here we go. Uh, when Paul singled these two women out uh, as women, here's what the scripture says. As women who contended have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. The word underlined workers. Philippians 4, 2 and 3. And then I'm going to point out another uh, a lady that is outlined in Scripture. Priscilla was another of Paul's exemplary fellow workers in Christ Jesus. That's in Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. And by the way, Priscilla and Aquila, they had a house church and were noted as traveling evangelists and missionaries. They fulfilled both roles as they, they did the work of the ministry, Priscilla and Aquila, but this Priscilla is one of Paul's exemplary fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And finally in Romans uh, 16, Paul greets numerous ministry colleagues, a large number of them women. Um, and I, and I have to, here's where we go, we jump into. So this is not typical in terms of what I do in a message. I love preaching the word. And while this may take on preaching aspects, it's for much stronger a teaching message today. And so the way I'm moving through it and the way I'm expecting you to write down the scriptures and come alongside and, uh, and get them, and you can have our notes you, you, you can get our notes because we have them here already printed in our bulletin that's sitting out there wasted today. So in these greetings, the word Paul uses to speak of the work, here it is, copaeo, copaeo, I'm trying. It means labor. And he mentions Mary, Tryphena, Tryphosa and Persis. That's Romans 16, verses 6 and 12. This word he uses extensively for the labor of ministry in 1 Corinthians 16, um, 16, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 1 Timothy 5, 17. So that word, and here's where I've got, I got to, make the connect the dots for you that word copaeo just doing my best he applies it equally to both men and women in those passages same word for both genders and here it is in 1 Corinthians 16:16 16, 16, to submit to them and others like them who serve. The word serve is that word copaeo, with such devotion. Submit to them and others like them who serve with such devotion. Same word applied to men and women. Now, let's talk about biblical deacons and elders, all right? I'm jumping around, 
And there's far more I'd love to be able to say, but again, we don't have time to do it. Here we go. Paul regularly used the term, and this is a word that many of you have heard, uh, the Greek word diakonos, for a minister or leader of a congregation, and applied it specifically to Jesus Christ, Tychicus, or Chicus, Epaphras, Timothy, and his own ministry, Paul's own ministry. He used that word, diakonos. Um, and, and he made reference to that, to minister. It's typically applied to minister or leader. Hear it again, minister or leader. And here we go. Phoebe, a leader in the church at Kentria, was highly commended to the church at Rome by Paul in Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. So in Romans 16, 1 and 2, where he commends a lot of people, Phoebe is literally mentioned. And here's the word. Unfortunately, translation biases have often obscured Phoebe's position of leadership, calling her a servant. The NIV does, the New American Standard Bible does, and the English Standard Version all call her a servant. But the word isn't servant, it's diakonos. Depending on the context, diakonos is usually translated deacon or minister. The word is usually translated deacon or minister. Though some translators have chosen the word deaconess, the Revised Standard Version, because Phoebe was female. But that's something that translators have added to it simply because of she was female. The Greek diakonos, though, is a masculine noun, and it was used relative to Phoebe. Therefore, it seems likely that diakonos was the designation of an official leadership position in the early church, and the proper translation for Phoebe's role is deacon or minister. And she was a she. We have another lady that you need to look at today. Her name is Junia. Junia was identified by Paul as an apostle in Romans 16, 7. Here it is. I want to give you the passage scripture for this one because it's a big deal. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who were in prison with me. They are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Beginning in the 13th century, now you got to follow me. This is the teaching portion. Hear me when I say this. Beginning in the 13th century, all right? So what, what I'm telling you is that all of the translations of the scriptures up until the 13th century, she was listed as Junia. But several scholars and translators masculinized her name to Junius with an S, apparently unwilling to admit that there was a female apostle. But I'm going to go a little deeper, all right? I told you this was a teaching message. The name Junia is found in extra-biblical literature at the time the scriptures were written in Rome 250 times. So what I'm telling you is that the name Junia was common in Rome at the time and you could find it in extra-biblical literature 250 time, times. Guess how many times you can find the name Junius? Big old zero. It doesn't exist anywhere else. So the translators, unwilling to admit that Junia was a woman 
And an apostle masculinized her name because they couldn't make sense of it otherwise. So clearly, Paul highly respected the role of women in ministry. You know that by reading Paul's writings. You have to understand that. Uh, these instances of women filling leadership roles in the Bible should be taken as a divinely approved pattern, not as exceptions to divine decrees. And that's what we have tended to do in the church. Even, listen to me, even a limited number of women with uh, scripturally commended leadership roles affirm that God does indeed call women to spiritual leadership even if it is on a limited basis in the scriptures. So from a biblical standpoint, women should be, hear me when I say this and I'll repeat it, women should be considered for roles as leaders, not just helpers to men who lead. Thank you for the amens in-house. You could throw up an amen or an emoji hand online. And I don't want to make light of this and make this such a thing, but I, but I think it's so important, and I'm going to state it again, from a biblical standpoint, women should be considered for roles as leaders, not just helpers to men who lead. But we have to, we have to recognize Paul's mixed signals. You were all waiting for this portion. Because I know as you sit here and I know as you listen online, you're thinking, yeah, but what about... Paul, who said, ministry in the New Testament is made possible and energized by the Holy Spirit as he sovereignly distributes spiritual gifts, right? You get that part. Excuse me. All of us are energized and empowered to do ministry because of the work of the Holy Spirit. All of us. Male female doesn't matter. If we don't have Holy Spirit, we're not doing much. We're spinning our wheels. We may make a lot of noise. It can be a lot of fun. Sal will tell you, doing a real full-on burnout. A lot of fun. But it's a lot of energy wasted, right? And even some rubber. A lot of smoke made. And if you're trying to do work of ministry without the Holy Spirit, you're just making a lot of noise, blowing up some smoke, ruining your tires, stressing your engine, and every other component that goes back to the tires. Say amen, Sal. Still doesn't make it not fun, though, right? <laughs> this work of Holy Spirit is done without gender bias. You understand that. Because some gifts uh, are a spontaneous work of the Spirit and others are recognized ministry gifts to the body. What that means is that, you know, the gifts that we're most, most commonly recognized in the church are the gifts of, like speaking in tongues and, you know, interpretation of tongues. Those are spontaneous gifts given at the moment, even a prophetic word, word of knowledge. Those are spontaneous, instantaneous kinds of, you don't have the gift of knowledge constantly in operation. Wished I did. <laughs> I wished I did. But... Um, but that comes on you. Those are spontaneous when needed. But there are many ministry gifts that are given to the body, and they are seen in Ephesians 4.11. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Same word. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. Now, I'm going to tell you that I have my own struggle with the assemblies of God because we've not recognized prophets or apostles. We've not recognized them. And, and, I, and I have a problem with that. I understand why they take the role that they've taken or the position that they take, but I just don't agree with it. Because, I, you know, if we're going to throw out those two as they ended or they're no longer active, then what are we well, how are we coming up against the people that say that tongues ended? 
So there's my problem with that. Now, so Paul sends out these mixed signals, but I want you to remember Philip's daughters I mentioned earlier, they had the gift of prophecy. They were unmarried, the scripture says. That means they could have been very young by our standards, and yet they had this gift of prophecy. So there's no bias on how Holy Spirit distributes his gifts. In the early, earliest stages of Pentecostal ministry, do you know there were child evangelists? And when I'm saying child evangelist, I'm not saying, this is no joke. Those two little girls right over there are the same age as people that, girls that filled the pulpit. You can find them in our history, even in the Assemblies of God history. Nine-year-old, ten-year-old girls preaching the gospel to huge crowds. They were gifted by God. The Holy Spirit spoke through them, and they had an, an, an amazing impact on people. So God... God can do what he wants with whom he wants. Now, we've noted that Paul has recognized many women who played significant roles in his ministry life. We've talked about them, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recap now and go a little deeper with some of these. But we, having said that, we have to contend with uh, and recognize that Paul states in two cases particularly that women should not speak or have rule over men. So you know I have to deal with that, right? Because it's in the Word. And, and so we have to deal with it, and I'm going to do my best to kind of bring everything into alignment here. I'm doing well with this message, getting through to the end, so I'm excited at this stage. I think I'm going to be able to do it all in one message. Listen to these words of scripture. Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him, speaking of these things in all of his letters. Listen to this line. Some of his comments are hard to understand. Who wrote these words? <laughs> the Apostle Peter. All right, so I want you to pause for a moment and hear another apostle saying of Paul. We could call Peter the second leading apostle in the New Testament. And he says of Paul's letters, some of the subjects he writes about, his comments are hard to understand. If Peter said that, as a co-companion with Paul, if he had a difficult time with certain statements Paul had as being hard to understand, it's no surprise that we, removed by nearly 2,000 additional years of history, would share his struggle in interpreting the passages that he writes. Because I've just talked with you about all of the good things he said about these women who were clearly involved in ministry, directly involved in ministry, and here he is in two occasions saying, well, the women should keep quiet. So i got to dig in a little bit. Before I get to the two occasions where he talks about women being quiet, I need to deal with one thing first. The statement that the man is the head of the woman in 1 Corinthians 11.3. Has for centuries been used to justify the practice of male superiority and to exclude women from spiritual leadership. And so I have to talk about it. The word, man is the head of the woman. And I know that's what the scripture says, so I'm not denying what the scripture says there. I just have to give you uh, what the alternative translations for kefele, which means head. Kefele. And again, you can shoot at me for my pronunciation, but the word is the word. Um, it's debated widely by contemporary evangelical scholars as having two significant meanings or translations. The first that most hold to is authority over. 
head authority over. But the second is source or origin. Source or origin. Both meanings are found in literature of Paul's times. Alongside of the Bible, both of those meanings are used related to the word head. Now, before I go any further, because I'm going to explain this deeper, I'm not trying to come against, I'm not saying that, that the husband is not the head of the wife, as in leader in the home or high priest of the home. I'm not trying to dismantle that. But I want you to understand the fuller meaning of this scripture. I'm going to give it to you from the word. 1 Corinthians 11.3 puts it this way. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. And what's that last part that I want you to look at right now? The head of Christ is God. Doesn't it make more sense for that to imply or clearly indicate that as it relates to Christ and God, source or origin is more appropriate? Don't you think that? Rather than authority over. So you've got God as it relates to or he relates to Christ. They are one. Right? Are you with me for a minute? Stay with me. So source or origin relative from God and Christ makes more sense than authority over. Because they are one. They think alike. They operate as one. But the source or origin seems to make more sense. And it's the same thing with men and women. Women came from men. That's unalterable. Right? From the beginning, you're still with me? In-house, you're still with me? Online, you're still with me? From the beginning. So, what about... The two places. Now, I'm going to go on now to the scriptures where it says that women ought to be quiet. So, it seems to give clear instruction for women to keep silent. And since these must be placed alongside Paul's other statements and practices, they can hardly be absolute, unequivocal prohibitions of the ministry of women. I mean, you understand that he would have to be bipolar to say on one hand... Greet Junia, a great woman of God, or even Phoebe, if, you're, if you want to argue <laughs> that she was no big deal. Phoebe, you can't change her name. That's not can't be made a man. She was actively involved in ministry. So you can't put that one out there, and then on the other hand say, women can't be cool. They got to be silent. They should have no leadership positions. Instead, they seem to be dealing with in these cases, what you're going to hear me say, they seem to be dealing with specific local problems that needed correction. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 14, 34. We'll do this one first. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It's not proper for them to speak. They should be submissive, just as the law says. That's a tough one, isn't it? Paul said it. Seems clear that Paul is speaking, however, into a culturally specific context here. And I'm going to give you a lot of things you could take as notes, and they're not in even online or wherever. Uh, the whole of chapter 14, follow me for a moment. Again, you're looking at the big picture. You're looking at the entire Word of God. You're looking at all of the writings of Paul. So, Chapter 14 in 1 Corinthians, though, you have to recognize is all about order in the church services. The whole chapter is about order. And we know that the church in Corinth had a lot of problems. We have, we do, I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 most times that I would have done it this morning if we had had communion. Why did he write that? 
They were out of order. There were people doing stuff that they shouldn't have been doing during communion. And they made it up to be a big party, and they were ignoring people in there, and they lost care and concern for their brothers and sisters in Christ, and so Paul had to bring correction. That's chapter 11. Go back to chapter 5. He's dealing with incest and adultery in the church. In 1 Corinthians. So his writings to the church in Corinth include those things, but he also has to deal with people speaking out of turn. That seems to be what Paul is alluding to here. Ecstatic utterances, loud disruptions, or questions that a wife might have for her husband by whom she wouldn't be sitting beside because they separated men and women in their gatherings. And so put that together with the fact that she might not have ever had any education. They just weren't included in it. And that's cultural, right? You get the difference? That's cultural. That's their time. And so she might have questions. She might not understand what the priest or anybody else was saying for that matter. And she might call out to her husband, well, what does he mean by that? And Paul's saying, don't do that kind of thing in the church service. And he's just calling for general order. If you're not the one, you know how in a classroom they'll say, raise your hand. If you got a question. Because you want to keep order. If everybody's talking at the same time, you're going to miss each other. You're going to miss what's going on. And you won't know what's happening. And so Paul's calling for order in this case. We know it cannot be, listen to me when I say that, a prohibition for women to speak uh, uh, entirely because they could not pray or prophesy without speaking. And yet in chapter 11, verse 5, he writes these words. This is Paul. But a woman dishonors her head if she prays or prophesies without a covering on her head. He's not prohibiting the women from speaking here or prophesying, is he? He's simply saying when you do it, your head's covered. Another cultural thing. And so he's speaking into the culture and the time and the scenario that he was a part of. Now let's look at that second one. So the 1 Corinthians 1, 14, 34, remember, and read the whole chapter. You'll see. And you get down to the bottom of the chapter, and he's going to say, everything needs to be done decently and in order. Decently and in order. What that's telling you is that people were giving out, they give out a tongue, one over here and one over there at the same time, and it was bringing disorder. And, and if someone's going to give the interpretation, someone needs to give the interpretation and that one at a time. So he's trying to bring order to what was being said. Now let's look at 1 Timothy 2, verse 12. This is another hard one. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. I remind you, before I go any further of the many passages that Paul speaks to the exemplary actions of women in Romans and other letters that he's written. There were obvious problems in Ephesus, some relating to women. I'm going to say that again. There were obvious problems in Ephesus, a really good church. You know who pastored the church? Timothy. And that's who Paul is writing to. When he makes the statement, I don't let women speak in the church service. I expect them to be quiet. Some women were evidently given to immodest apparel and adornment in 1 Timothy 2 verse 9. He speaks to it. He talks to them about their apparel, how they dress. But let me give you a passage of scripture that he outlines. 1 Timothy 5 verse 13. Into the habit of being idle. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies. 
saying things they ought not to. I'm pausing to allow you to let that sink in. This is what Paul is speaking to that Timothy would have to deal with as the pastor of the church. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul warned against depraved persons, possibly including women, who manipulated weak-willed or gullible women. And so what's Paul saying here? A reading of the entire passage of 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15, strongly suggests that Paul was giving Timothy advice about dealing with some heretical teachings and practices specifically involving women in the church at Ephesus. I'm going to read that passage because it's too important for me to quickly gloss over. I'm in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. For the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious. We've been talking about this in 1 Peter, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or who do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him. Even though I used to blaspheme in the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted his people. But God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of them all. So if you read the entire passage there, I should have read from chapter 2, shouldn't I? That's where I messed up. And I want a woman to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For a woman who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things they do. Women should learn quietly and submissively. I do not let women teach men or have authority over them. Let them listen quietly. For God made Adam first, and afterward he made Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived by Satan. The woman was deceived, and sin was the result. But women, or women, will be saved through childbearing, assuming they continue to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. So he's speaking to this whole issue in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, verse 13. And things that were happening in the church. And because of this heresy, it was necessary for Paul to, to say to that group in that church at that time, I do not allow, I'm going to insert a word, such women to speak. I do not allow women to speak. What he's saying is these kinds of women in this kind of situation should not speak. They're going to dis be disrespected anyway, and people won't receive their teaching. So Paul says, Timothy, tell them to sit down and be quiet. Again, I remind you, because they wouldn't have access to the educational system of the day. So they're acting out of emotion. They're acting out of their humanity versus the spirit directives. And Paul says, don't let that intrude in the services or the ministry. So what are we going to do? I'm going to take you to the conclusion now. Um, we're going to look at the whole of Scripture. Now, especially as it relates to Paul and his practices, we must understand that he always put the kingdom ahead of himself. You still with me? And ahead of himself and others. Paul always put the work of the kingdom first, right? 
Paul's the guy that said, I'm willing to die if it means someone else gets saved. He at one point says, if my death were to result, if I had to go to hell because others could get saved, I'm willing to go to hell and spend eternity there. That's Paul. He always put the kingdom first. I wonder if we can do that in everything that we do as it relates to the ministry and the work of God. That we put the work of God, the kingdom of God first. Remember in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 13 how he said, if eating meat offends my brother, I won't eat it. Here's, a, here's the passage. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I'll never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Do you hear what he's saying there? You hear how important that is? So here's Paul saying, if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I'll never eat meat. In Romans chapter 14, he goes a little further. And I want to take you there. Romans 14, verses 14 and 15. Here it is. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. Now pause. Did you just hear what he said a moment ago? The scripture I just read? If what I eat causes someone to stumble, stumble. if I eat meat and it causes somebody to stumble, if it's a problem, I'll never eat meat again. But here he is saying this, and why Peter would say some of the things Paul says are confusing. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Kingdom first. Kingdom first. So what's Paul saying? He's telling us keep the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom front and center. So don't let your actions by any means bring disruption or destruction to the work of God. And so if it meant he had to tell some women to sit down and be quiet, he'd do it. So let me really conclude now. My conclusion based on all of the scriptures and this very brief, and I realize it, I realize you may still be wondering about things I've said or things that have been spoken or read here today. But I, I want to help you understand this again as a whole. And my conclusion based on these scriptures is that what matters most is order and displaying God's glory. That's what Paul was most interested in. Whenever anyone usurps authority or gets out of order, Paul would be quick to correct it. Male or female, young or old, Greek or Jew, Paul would be quick to correct it, whatever the problem was, because you're bringing destruction to the kingdom of God. He wanted God glorified or the work of Christ always magnified and not our mess causing that to be a misread on the gospel. You, have you ever had that happen? Have you ever had somebody say, well, if that's what believers do, I have no, you know, if that's the way those church people, if, that's a, if he's a deacon at your church, I don't, they lose respect because of actions taken by people. Sometimes, hear me when I say this, Paul used what I call a broad stroke to fix the problem. Like a parent saying, because I said so. Or, everybody shut up. I know that never happens in any of your Christian homes. You've never uttered those kinds of words. But when you utter those kinds of words... It's coming out of, a, it's a broad stroke, isn't it? 
You're not trying to narrow down on who did the what or exactly how they did it. They're just, you're just saying, please, shut up. Then we'll deal with the narrowed down issue. And I'm not trying to say that Paul spoke of his own volition when he made some of these statements. Yes, they were inspired word. They were the inspired word of God. But they, are, they, they had cultural and, and, and local significance that they don't carry for us today. It's not like Paul could just say, well, listen, Timothy, I'll be there next week. And I'll help you straighten out this one. We'll have a, or we'll have a Zoom meeting, Timothy. You're going to have to point out the person and what it did. I'm not in the service, so I can't, I can't quantify everything you're telling me. But I know there's problems there. I've been hearing about those. And so he writes with this broad stroke, it's better, Timothy. Don't let them speak. Because they're taking away from the work of the gospel. The gospel's being robbed. And so he simply says to Timothy, tell the women to be quiet. But it could not be a prohibition for a woman to deny the gift of prophecy. Or if she is gifted to, to speak or lead based on his other writings. You cannot miss the fact that of all people, Paul had deep respect for women in ministry and he was grateful for their help. You can't deny it because he would not have spent so much time in, and, and I remind you of this, writing in his day and his time was a big deal, just writing a letter. And so when you got 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians, it, and, and, and the time he took in Romans, these, these are long letters. But you're not going to waste it. You know how you, you just say hey to some, or you just do this with some people when you greet them? It's just a, I mean, what, is he going to spend time commending these ladies that were, and it didn't matter? No, he takes the time to commend them because what they did was significant to the ministry. So he went through the trouble, if you will, to say thank you in most every letter, and often those thanks went to women who led others. Often. You can't have a church in your house and be named alongside of other apostles or, or doing, imprisoned, and your work wasn't significant, why would she be put in prison? And here's what I want to close with for real. Surely, the enormous challenge of the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations requires the full deployment of all God's spirit-gifted ministers, both men and women. I hope you hear my heart when I say that. If we're going to do what we have to do, and we all know, you know, if you've been listening to me just a little over the last month and a half, two months, you know our time is short. Surely we need everybody that's gifted by God doing the work God wants them to do. Surely. We need them. We need their help. And I think that has to include women as well as men. In our church, we do good. And, and, uh, and I know some of you from a Hispanic background, y'all, many of you don't have any trouble with the idea because you've been under pastors that were female, etc. But even though, even those, some people just have question marks. And I hope I've answered a few of them. It's not exhaustive. This cannot be in the time frame that I've had. I have taken an hour to do this today. It cannot be exhaustive, but I hope it helps you in understanding. I'm not trying to change whether the husband is the head of the wife. That's not trying, it's nothing to, to the contrary. My own wife in my own home understands that I am the head of our house. She understands that. 
and yet she's fully gifted of God. And God has used her amazingly over many years of ministry. And uh, that cannot be denied. I've watched it firsthand. I've watched what God has done firsthand and been amazed by God's direct or Holy Ghost infusion into her life. And so, yeah, I've watched it firsthand, and that is significant to me. But I've seen so many other women gifted and full of the Holy Ghost, used by God. And wow, I would hate to turn my back on that. And I don't think you can historically look at the assemblies of God and deny the fact that God has used women so incredibly over the course of our time. But not just the assemblies of God. I'm saying Pentecost in general. When the Holy Ghost fell and he decided he was tapping some ladies on the shoulder, Catherine Kuhlman, you cannot deny. She had an amazing ministry that transformed a nation at the time. She gained respect that that was uh, only garnered by a few men. That's what she had. And she honored her position and was glorified Christ. And the gifts of God used through her healings and such things were phenomenal. Amy Simple, Simple McPherson, some of these ladies, you can't deny what God has done with them. You cannot deny that. What are you doing if you do say that they, they well, they shouldn't be in a leadership role? Well, did you determine that? Obviously, God decided that they were going to be gifted and used by him. And he decided they were going to travel all over and do the work of ministry, packing stadiums wherever they went, churches. Would you in the house please stand to your feet with me? Having said all of this, I do not deny that it's still difficult for some to grasp it. And all I ask of you is that you take these words, listen to this message again, pray and seek the Lord and and allow God to work in your heart. That's what I really ask of you. And of course, if you're a member of our church, I do want you to be out on February the 17th to to cast a vote. And one of the things you're going to be doing is considering the role of women in our leadership with deacons and elders. There's going to be a direct impact on that. And so we want you to be a part of it. Can we pray? Now, I know that this message has been geared towards believers, strongly geared towards believers and the church, our church even specifically. But it's possible that you're watching online right now and you're not in a right relationship with Christ. You're not where you need to be with Jesus. Put aside what I've talked about today. If you're not ready to meet Jesus then that matters most. And when I talked about how Paul was always interested in the kingdom, I am too. So maybe you're watching online right now and you're listening to my voice. Or maybe you hear this years from now and you're listening to my voice. If you're not where you need to be with Jesus, please pray this prayer with me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I thank you, Jesus that you gave your life, you shed your blood so that I could have eternal life. From this moment, Lord, I'm yours. Now, if you're watching online and you just prayed that prayer with me and you mean business with God, by, by all means, please connect with us. You can do that right online. Tell us you got saved. Write in, call in, find a way to get to us and tell us that you did give your life to the Lord because we want to help you to know what you do next. If you're somewhere else in the nation, not able to come to our local church, find yourself a good Bible-believing church. Obviously, I recognize the Assemblies of God strongly and encourage you to go to one of those. There are plenty good churches where Jesus is loved and glorified, and you need to be in one of them. Love you guys. God bless you. It's Super Bowl Sunday, so... You got a good excuse to sit in your house and enjoy the, the warmth of your house and a good foot, well, a football game tonight. God bless you.
I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel, not only to the Lehigh Valley, but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.